Well, welcome to another episode of The Andrew Giuliani Show. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I've mentioned on the radio many times. I don't want to dig a little bit deeper into this. College campuses and basically a couple of different things here. First off, what have they been actually teaching our students? We're getting a uh, rude awakening in terms of what's been going on on college campuses we've been seeing with this horrendous terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel. And secondly, should the Columbia's and the NYU's of the world who have been radicalizing these students, should New York end their tax-exempt status? Now, this was talked about, I actually talked about it on my gubernatorial campaign. Uh, I know that Curtis Sliwa, our own Curtis Sliwa, and as well as Andrew Yang, so somebody from the other side of the aisle, has talked about making NYU and Columbia pay their fair share. Let's get into a little bit of the statistics on this and how much Columbia and NYU's endowment actually is worth now and what that can mean for New York taxpayers. Think about this. Right now, it seems like congestion pricing is going to get rammed through by the environmentalists uh, and the state legislature on New Yorkers. Now, for somebody who's making $75,000 a year, if they're driving into Southern Manhattan every single day, five days a week for, let's say, 48 weeks out of the year, you're talking about $5,000 a year. That's 7%, 8% of their income, depending on how much that they actually, of their pre-tax income. So you're talking about 10 12% of their after-tax income that congestion pricing will raise. That would only end up raising a fraction of what actually ending Columbia and NYU's tax-exempt status would raise for New York City. Let's talk about those numbers right now. Columbia's endowment is somewhere in the range of $13.6 to $14.3 billion. Let's call it $14 billion. You know, and what's, a, what's an extra $700 million between friends? Am I right? NYU's endowment is about $6 billion. Uh, and in real estate holdings, NYU's real estate holdings is about $20 billion. They have 142 properties that are tax exempt. You think about where NYU is right in and around Washington Square Park. That's some of those valuable real estate, not just in New York City, but in the entire world. All that Everything that's used for educational purposes, housing students, that's completely tax-free. The city does not get any bite of that apple. Then you look at the real estate holdings of Columbia, over $4 billion, 300 properties. Uh, Basically, between the two universities, they are getting a tax break of about $600 million. Let's say close to $200 million for NYU, about $400 million for Columbia between the endowments, between uh, their real estate holdings and the properties that they're actually paying taxes on. Uh, You're talking $600 million, over a half a billion dollars that they're actually getting tax breaks for. And what are they teaching our students? So originally, the reason why these universities would get this tax break because it was written into state law in 1799. And basically the idea was this was supposed to provide for the community, provide for New York. They were at the time considered to be charitable enterprises and they were really connected. The cities and the country's first universities were really connected with with, uh, religious organizations. Um, What we are seeing now though, sadly, is very different philosophies going on from the traditional civics 
in our universities. We're seeing anti-racism being taught, which is, as we know, just a form of racism against white and Asian Americans in New York. Don't forget about that. I mean, you see what ended up happening with the Supreme Court uh, ending at Harvard with the with the lawsuit there that was completely un-American, uh, anti-Asian American, let's say, and because of that, un-American in terms of some of the, uh, let's say, uh, how how Asian Americans were really um, were really put at a disadvantage because of those policies. And then uh, it's obviously very anti-American. They've said time and time again that America is inherently racist. You hear that uh, the anti-police rhetoric coming out of there, that even though the NYPD protects these ivory-towered, ungrateful, we'll call them ungrateful pricks, they are still anti-police. Um, and they're anti-science as well. They don't believe in a binary gender uh science. They instead believe on kind of a, you know, multi-gender and by multi, I mean more than two uh, gender philosophy. And and they're teaching uh, our kids this on campus. And uh, they squash questions with regards to the COVID vaccine efficacy. Um, and they don't even question the degree, or I should say, don't you question the degree that humans actually contribute to climate change. That for them is settled science, and you're a kook for asking for something like, I don't know, evidence, let's say. Uh, they really are just illiberal, right? They talked about microaggressions, and they curbed free speech because they were afraid of offending different people at universities. I mean, the whole idea of university life for so long was the fact that you would present prevent evidence, present a side, present, prevent a kid, uh, present a case, present a side, um, and then be able to talk about the facts of each side right there, have two different viewpoints, and be able to learn from the other side right there of that viewpoint. Might not make you agree with that viewpoint, but you could at least understand how to critically think. Critically thinking, sadly, is something that over the last few decades on college campuses has been phased more and more out for this sheep-like philosophy in terms of uh, what is taught. And if you don't believe in what they're saying, if you don't say that you believe in what you're saying, then you end up getting, uh, canceled on these college campuses. Um, now these microaggressions, they end up being, uh, you know, we can't offend anybody. We can't have these microaggressions. Uh, we're going to curb your speech, except, except if you're Jewish or Israeli, because on these college campuses, just like everything else, just like being anti-racist, anti-police, anti-science, anti-American, illiberal. They are anti-Jewish. They are pro-Hamas. And teachers and students are, around, are allowed to parade around campus saying that we believe in these Hamas terrorists. Uh, they tear down pictures of the Israelis that are held captive in Gaza by Hamas terrorists. Think about how hard your heart must be to actually do that. And you have professors that are out there openly celebrating Hamas, these terrorist organizations saying they ended up feeling uh, uh, more energy from all this. Uh, let's just go through a couple of instances in particular. Yeah, the president of Cornell University who lamented, who basically described her statements as a response to world events, lamenting it is impossible to respond to all the world's tragedies, so completely 
punting the ball down the road. You had the president of Northwestern University. By the way, all these presidents, they made statements after all of the George Floyd stuff. They were very, very clear statements on what was going on. Anytime that they talk about climate change, they are very clear and unequivocal, but here they end up giving you a bunch of word salad. Northwestern does not intend to make an institutional statement uh, after Hamas butchered these poor Jews. Stanford's interim president, uh, along with their provost, said that it's uh, they believe it's important as a university and an institution to generally refrain from taking institutional positions on complex political or global matters. I'm sorry, this is not complex. You had Hamas that came in and beheaded children, Israeli children. You had them come in and raping women. There's nothing complex about that. So don't be... Don't be out there just saying like, hey, you know what? We're going to, uh, we're not going to make a real comment on this. It's crazy. And then you had uh, Dartmouth president who basically has yet to condemn Hamas. Uh, it is beyond amazing that when you look at what these universities have turned out recently, just not just on this issue, but, uh, Think about on some of the other issues that we have seen. You know, I know I covered this with regards to the police. I covered it with regards to um, climate protests. But uh, the fact, again, that they will not allow free speech on these campuses and say, hey, look, these are microaggressions. We can't present both sides of this because you're going to offend some students. But when it comes to actually supporting uh, our Israeli and Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, they don't think about their feelings, their thoughts in the light of actual harm that has been done to them by terrorist organizations. But, you know, here's one of the things that we're also seeing with this. Uh, you have a lot of different major corporations that are starting to drop the college requirements. And one of the reasons why you're seeing that is because you see more and more of these companies if they have, as they have hired college graduates over recent years, seeing that they're not prepared to take on the workload where college graduates used to basically show that, hey, look, I have a college degree. I am, uh, I am capable and understand American civic life. I understand history. I have a certain level of mathematics and science. So you had all these different fields that at the very least you had a basis of knowledge. It wouldn't mean there wouldn't be some training involved, but at least there was a basis of knowledge where you can build upon that. Those four years in college, especially, and in prep school before that, you could build upon that to actually have somebody who's prepared to do the job. What they're seeing is these graduates are not prepared. So you've seen about a quarter of the companies uh, in the United States of America that are dropping college degree requirements. Um, and if you look at some of the other statistics on this, 70% of U.S. jobs require a bachelor's degree and less than half of the workforce has one. And this actually ends up hurting more than anybody, uh, black workers, Latino workers, rural wor workers, uh, because 76% of black workers don't have a degree. Uh, 83% of Latino workers, 81% of rural workers, and almost 70% percent, uh, percent of veterans that actually don't have that. So you're tapping into a talent pool that they haven't been able to tap into as these companies are seeing that college campuses do not necessarily, necessarily prepare them. Okay, so back to the solution over here in terms of what you actually can do. 
end Columbia and NYU's tax-exempt status. Like I said, that raises $600 million a year for the city. You could say, well, NYU, Columbia, they create jobs that end up paying taxes into the city. These individual taxpayers will end up paying more and more. But what I can tell you is New York is losing out so much on the real estate taxes. When you're talking about a combined over 430 properties, probably closer to 500 plus properties between Columbia and NYU that are not being taxed, that's so much of the city's coffers that now are reliant on taxpayers, on New York taxpayers to end up doing. And so you have to end up coming up with schemes like congestion pricing. And instead of having these universities actually pay their fair share. We've heard a lot of people on the left saying, well, you know, the richest need to pay their fair share. Let's tax the rich over here. Well, let's go after those people that have those endowments. Columbia, which has the $14 billion endowment. NYU, which has a $6 billion endowment. It's time for them to start tapping into that. And instead of continuously gobbling up more and more of the properties that should be available for New York taxpayers, because they'll be paying taxes on the real estate, on their income. It's time for that to go back into the pool so that way New York is not giving these tax breaks to these ivories towers, which are sadly teaching radicalized ideas to uh, students that are graduating, not prepared, as we've seen from companies, to enter the workforce. Um, And it might be time to stop blanket federal funds as well. Because you think, really... Um, with the $1.8 million, I'm sorry, $1.8 trillion student loan industry, um, a a good comparison for how college tuitions have risen. You could think of health insurance, right? Uh, because health insurance is so prevalent, is mandatory. Um, and, uh, it's something that is so complex, uh, you have the costs, the medical costs that go absolutely through the roof. And you have this kind of unaccountable, massive amount of money that ends up going through our insurance, which ends up being a disaster in terms of those people that don't end up being getting, getting covered and the amount of money that people actually have to spend on their insurance because the prices have gone absolutely through the roof. It's just this lack of accountability, this bureaucratic mess, basically. That's what ends up happening with these student loans. If you think about it, uh, tuition has got, has increased by four times the amount of inflation over the last 45 years. That's because you have spent uh, so much, let's say, federal money on this, that there is no accountability and people are not making the cost benefit analysis saying, Hey, what can I gain from a college degree? And what is the price? What is the value of that college degree? Uh, is this something that is worth the cost benefit analysis? Um, and it also might be time to lift the taxpayer status of the nearly $1 trillion in endowments. Uh, it is amazing how much these endowments over the last 15 to 20 years have been able to accumulate. This is something that not just NYU and Columbia have been focused on, but so many of these massive schools across the country, everywhere from Harvard to Yale to even uh, St. Louis University um, has been able to mass amass these endowments, which are worth 
tens of billions of dollars. Harvard is worth $50 billion. Yale is worth 40 plus billion dollars. Even the University of St. Louis is worth like 14 or $15 billion, maybe even more at this point. Um, this is something that I think we need to look at uh, to say, hey, look, are we getting the cost benefit analysis on this? And the answer is that we're not. So again, I think the main point of this is it is time for us to reevaluate what these universities are pushing forward in our students, to our students, what these universities are giving our students and what we are paying for them to give our students. We need students that are going to come in, that are going to be prepared to go into the workforce, not these political radicals, which these universities have been producing over the last really 50 years, but we're seeing it especially over the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's illiberal thought. So it's time for these universities to pay their fair share. It's time to make sure that Columbia and NYU's tax, tax exempt status goes out the window because ladies and gentlemen, we need to make sure that they are not being funded on the backs of hardworking New Yorkers that are going in, that are working their butts off every day, that are going to get congestion pricing put on their back on top of all these other costs that end up coming in around New York because we shouldn't be funding this radical thought, these radical ideas that would side with terrorists rather than everyday New Yorkers, rather than American, patriotic Americans there. That's why for me, when I look at Columbia and at NYU, it is time to end their tax exempt status because we want to stand with those New Yorkers who guess what? Who love our country, who love America. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to The Andrew Giuliani Show.